You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. We're going to get right into this because the power of the Lord is here to heal. And he's going to heal you through the sound of Christ crucified. The prophetic word on Sunday was, if I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. And we said that the Holy Spirit has filled the church because it's our job to draw all people to the cross. Christ has left us with the responsibility of drawing all people unto him. And so we need to see the phases of the cross and be healed in our souls of the areas where we have stopped drawing people to him. All of us have symptoms in our life that are blocking our ability to draw people to Christ. We said Jesus was going to flip tables this week. We said let him walk around. Let him flip some tables. Tonight we look at the cross. You have to use your imagination with me. We have to look at the cross tonight and be healed. There's going to be a lot of information tonight. This is not for learning. Listen to me, Salem. This is not about learning tonight. This is about hearing a sound, one word, one phrase, one sentence that is for you and latching onto it and standing on it until it produces fruit in your life. That's what tonight is for. Tonight is about hearing a line, a word, a sentence, an idea, and letting that germinate in your life, and you stand on it and get other people around you and tell them what it is later tonight and tomorrow and make sure they don't let you off the hook because God wants to bring an area of healing into your life that will begin to heal you and strengthen you to draw people unto the Lord. Jesus died on a hill called Golgotha, which is the place of the skull. We need to hear him here tonight. We need to hear him in our mind and let him speak to our heart. So this is not about absorbing. This is not about note-taking. This is about hearing the sound of Christ crucified. What is the Spirit saying to you through the many, many, many things that are going to be said this evening? There's no sense to this. This is not a cohesive sermon. This is a series of ideas and thoughts. The Good Shepherd is just casting seed out tonight. Let it germinate in your life. Station one, the garden. This will be found in the Gospel of Mark. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul, this is Jesus talking, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. 
And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and this is key, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. The Gospel of the Lord. Close your eyes and listen. Disciples fell asleep because they had no answer for Christ's suffering. We burn out trying to answer suffering. We try to answer suffering by distancing ourselves from it. We try to answer suffering by denying that it's happening. We try to answer suffering by demanding that we learn from it or find a reason. Distance, denial, demand are all what sleeping towards suffering looks like. Here it is, Salem. Presence and prayer are the answers suffering is looking for. Stay awake and watch with me. We draw others to Christ by being present to them in their pain through prayer and empathy. Holy Spirit, reveal to us where we may have lost our ability to draw people to you by just remaining present with them in their pain, feeling it with them, and praying for them. Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hardwood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in empathy, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you for the honor of your name. Amen. Let's take a moment of silence and ponder what we heard. Listen for the spirit to speak to you. When something germinates, when you feel the Spirit speak to you, that's what you should write down. Pop a note into your phone. Not notes, but what the Spirit is saying. He's going to tell you where he's going to heal you. Some of it might not be for you. Some of it may be. Station two, the arrest. This is also found in the Gospel of Mark. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs, 
from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to Jesus at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid their hands on him and seized him. The Gospel of the Lord. Judas and religious leaders arrest Jesus because he was not moving their agenda farther along. Listen to me. We will arrest people who threaten the way of life that makes being ourselves the easiest. We will apprehend and arrest and shut down the people in our life who make it harder for us to be our easiest self. Now, right away, that might sound like, Pastor, we're supposed to be ourselves. There's a life I want that makes being me not a challenge at all. Everything just fits nicely around me, and I never have to really exert too much effort. And we arrest people who infiltrate that reality because that's not really who we are. We're servants. We're people who get on crosses and bear burdens for other people. We're not people who love comfort, comfort. (laughs) Woe to those who are comfortable in Zion. Listen, through flattery, he kissed him. Through violence, swords and clubs. And through spin, through spin, hundreds of years later, they will say that Judas only betrayed Jesus because he was trying to release Jesus from the flesh because the flesh was corruptible. Have you ever had somebody in your life or have you ever turned on the news and heard a little bit of spin before? Just a little Have you ever said to somebody, I'm being nasty to you because I love you? We use flattery, we use violence, and we use spin to arrest and imprison all threats to the way of life that is easiest for us. We draw others to Christ by being arrested ourselves by the love of Christ our Lord. Let's close our eyes for a moment. We draw others to Christ by being arrested, apprehended by the love of Christ, our Lord. Paul will one day say it this way, the love of Christ controls me. Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hardwood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in submission to your love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you for the honor of your name. Amen. Let's take a moment and ponder what the Spirit may be saying to us. Station three, the court. 
This is found in Matthew 26. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. Remember that. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At at last, two came forward and said something true. This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it within three days. And the high priest stood up and said, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus somehow remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, which is terribly ironic. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? And they answered, he deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him. And some slapped him, saying, prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it? That struck you. The gospel of the Lord. The religious leaders, listen, they find Jesus a deeper and deeper threat as their false accusations turn into true ones. They find Jesus to be a deeper and deeper threat the more their false accusations turn into true ones. No clothes get torn and no judgments get rendered until they say something true about Jesus. The more we can keep people behind a false narrative, the less threatening they are to us. We all need to pray and ask the Holy Spirit where we have bought into false narratives about people. And we like the false narrative because we can keep people at bay and they're not a threat to what we have. Mockery, belittling, and listen, removal of advocacy. Jesus is in an upside-down kangaroo court at midnight with no one to testify for him, and he's facing a crowd of people who are just allowed to bring false accusation. All advocacy has been removed. The blind man who was able to see is not there. Lazarus is not there. Mary Magdalene is not there. Mary, his mother, is not there. No one is allowed to speak who's been positively touched and healed by him. He has, all advocacy has been removed. Mockery, belittling, and removal of advocacy mask the insecurities of those who desire control. When I want control, I don't want anybody to speak up for you. I just want my opinion of you to stand. We draw others to Christ by allowing the Spirit to lead us 
into truth through mutual listening. This is station three, everybody. It's going to get tough. The power of God is here to heal, not physical ailments, sin diseases. We draw others to Christ by allowing the Spirit to lead us into truth through mutual listening. Yes, we need to walk away from false narratives we've heard and created about other people. And yes, it might be a threat to us. Look at Jesus in this kangaroo court. He was a threat to everybody. And so no one wanted him to speak. Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hardwood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our ears in mutual listening, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you for the honor of your name. Amen. Please take a moment for the Spirit to reveal to all of you, this is an everyone thing, where we have stopped hearing the cry of somebody else. This is all going to be on YouTube, and it's all going to be on Facebook, so we can, we can go back and listen to the details. I just want you to hear the moment, the in-the-moment sense that the Spirit might be giving you. Station four, the denial. This is found in Matthew 26. Now Peter was sitting outside the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath, I do not know what you mean. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you two are one of them, for your accent betrays you. What a compliment. You sound like Jesus. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you know me. And he went out and wept bitterly. The gospel of the Lord. Peter, after promising to follow Jesus to death, and waiting to see the end. That's what got me. It says that Peter went into the courtyard and waited to see the end. Peter, after promising to follow Jesus to death and waiting to see the end, abandons, denies, and leaves him 
in the middle. Listen. Overt self-confidence, especially when it's self-promotion over others, will always lead to a descent into humility. It's not just being overtly confident. It's looking at where you're better than other people and letting that puff up your ego a little bit. Feeling better about yourself because you're better than somebody else will always lead to a rooster crowing in your life and the realization that you've denied Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it this way, when Peter said of Jesus, I do not know the man, Peter should have said, I do not know the man, but he should have been talking about himself. I thought I knew me. I thought I could handle it, but I truly don't know the man. Listen, the enemy of Christian witness is not messing up, but quitting during the race of endurance. Peter quit. We quit when we get embarrassed. We quit when we make mistakes. We quit when we mess up. We quit when it's taking too long. Christians finish. We don't even finish strong all the time. But we're called to make it to the end, even if we're limping, bleeding, battered, bruised, and bored. (laughs) We are called to get to the finish line. We draw others to Christ, listen, as Christ's wounds of love heal our wounds of disregard. Wherever you've disregarded somebody in your life, or maybe are right now, Christ's wounds of love are healing your wounds of disregard. Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hardwood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in humble self-awareness, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you For the honor of your name. Amen. This is the last station before we take our first break and John and Steph come. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's take a moment and let the Spirit speak to us about where we may be tempted to quit. And he wants us to continue even if we feel miserable continuing. Station five, the verdict. This is found in Luke 23. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I do not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, who's like the worst, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish 
and release him. But they all cried out together, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify him, crucify him. A third time, notice these threes popping up everywhere in the story. A third time, he said to them, why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, always dangerous, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. The gospel of the Lord. That is a powerful section of scripture right there. Pilate has a personal conviction that he refuses to act on due to the threat of his loss of power. Pilate has a personal conviction that he refuses to follow through on because he could lose power in following through on what he knows to be true. Listen. We tend to transact our most spiritual selves for a lesser self if it means we can maintain control. I wish there were not 14 stations. I want to stay here all day. Can we just stay until Easter? We'll just stay until the Easter egg hunt tomorrow. How's that? We tend to transact our most spiritual selves for a lesser self if it means we have control. And I also want to point out that when Judas betrayed Jesus, he brought a lot of people with him. When the Sanhedrin betrayed Jesus, they had a lot of people with them. When Pilate was overthrown by the mob, the mob had a lot of people with them. Salem, hear me, please go. God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, hear me. This is a warning against the liturgy of the loudest. Groupthink and confirmation bias are destroying the church as we speak because we are all more passionately engaged in what's going on out there than we are in here. The gospel needs to determine the right voice, even if it's not the loudest, and even if it doesn't come with a whole lot of other people who think and feel the way you do. That's all I'm going to say. In an act of God, that is all I'm going to say. How many people want to see a miracle in real life? Seriously, that's all I'm going to say. Congratulations, you have seen a miracle. We draw others to Christ as we advocate for the powerless at the expense of our power. That's what Pilate didn't do. That's what Jesus was doing the whole time. 
we draw others to Christ as we advocate for the powerless at the expense of our power. Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hardwood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our voices on behalf of the marginalized, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you for the honor of your name. And everybody said, as we take a moment to ponder, why don't we stand to our feet? John and Steph, you could come and get ready to sing. This is our first mini intermission. Let the Holy Spirit sing over you this evening.
Holy Spirit, teach us to seek you so that we may be found by you. You may be seated this evening. We continue to journey to the tomb. The tomb is where we will leave Jesus this evening. Station six, the humiliation This is found in Mark 15. Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. So notice, they're inside a palace, and they call together the whole battalion. There's the group think again. There's the mob mentality again. There's the loudest voice again. They call together the whole battalion because only Christians can stand for something by themselves. And they clothed him in purple cloak in a palace. And twisting a crown of thorns, they put, it, put them on him in a palace. And they began to salute him in a palace, say, Hail, King of the Jews, in a palace. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him in a palace. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. This is the gospel of the Lord. The soldiers an unholy community of power. Treat Jesus like overpowering him means they've defeated him. We live life like winning the arm wrestling contest. I I just, yeah, I looked right over my man and I, I like you would beat me in an arm wrestling contest from here without our arms even wrestling. Like that's how strong you look. Aldo, take care of that for me, okay, just in case. We act like if we win an arm wrestling contest, we've beaten the person. That's how we live life. Listen, our desire for life our way 
causes us to mock the part of another that threatens us the most. Our desire for life our way causes us to mock the part of another that threatens us the most. We haven't just become a cynical culture. We've become a mocking, laughing at you culture. Saints, we cannot let it, and we have let it, infiltrate this building, this community, this room, and we need to cast that demon out. Why? They didn't know that they were actually crowning a king, and this coronation reveals the method of how Jesus is going to be king. I'm going to lose the arm wrestling match to become king. I'm going to lose in the octagon to become king. The WWF used to call it the squared circle, which never made any sense to me, but it doesn't matter. I'm going to lose there. Jesus getting beat in the head, getting thorns pressed against his skull. That is not just the moment he becomes king, but it's the method of his kingdom. Saints, whatever extent we think that accumulating more goods, having more blessings, and not being poor makes us righteous in the kingdom, you need to close your eyes and repent of it now. Because what Jesus is doing is what it means to be rich in the kingdom of heaven. Taking a beating if it means somebody that's nameless, faceless, and voiceless gets advocated for. And this just isn't in the big picture, although it very much is. It's also in our families. When we have the worst disagreements ever in a family, we end up distancing ourselves as opposed to saying, Lord, where, where, where can I take some blows in this moment if it means the other person would see something in me that looks a lot like you? I'm going to stop. We draw others to Christ. Listen. I'm going to say listen a lot. I'm not being condescending. I'm saying listen. We draw others to Christ when we see serving as the highest level of authority. We draw others to Christ when we see serving as the highest level of authority. Dad, you want to walk in authority in your home? Serve your family. Boss, you want to walk in authority at your job? Serve your employees. Serving is authority in the kingdom making demands and commands and putting people under your thumb is going to get cast out to where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth one day. It will. Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hardwood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our lives in service, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you, for the honor of your name. Amen. Take a moment and listen for the Spirit's voice.
Station 7, The Cross, from the Gospel of John, chapter 19. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and when he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha, he went out bearing his own cross. The Gospel of the Lord. The Roman government, literally, and the Pharisees, religiously, burden others as a spectacle. As a spectacle. When we are offended or threatened, we want others to feel our burden, not just personally, but publicly. It's not enough that we get back at somebody personally. We need others to know that it happened. We want the drop the mic moment, and that's never fun if it's just you. You know how many mic drops I've said in the shower? You, you don't even know. No one wants that. We want to burden people personally and publicly with the burden they put on us. We want it to be a spectacle. We all need help with what is on our back. Whether it's a burden on our back from our own sin or the sin of another, as my brother Frank so eloquently said today when I was running some of this by him, I don't remember in Galatians when it says bear one another's burdens, it telling you to discern what kind of burden it is, it just says bear it. Well, this is their fault. Well, pick it up. He doesn't want us putting burdens on others, and more than that, he wants us lifting them whether it's a burden they put on their own back because of sheer stupidity, I think unnecessary burdens can just be put on people's back because they're being stupid. How many people have kids? I'm just kidding. (laughs) Parents are like laughing extra loud. (laughs) Got an amen from the back over there. I see that hand. You can put it down. We draw others to Christ. Listen, when we bear their inflicted or self-inflicted burdens with them, nothing weighs somebody down more than when they know the mess in their life is because of them. They need help. It's the worst kind of burden to have. Lord Jesus Christ, You stretched out your arms of love on the hardwood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our backs in burden-bearing love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you for the honor of your name. Amen. Let's take a minute to hear what the Spirit is saying.
Station 8. The intrusion. This is found in the Gospel of Mark. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. The Gospel of the Lord. Simon just minding his own business. Watch this. Because Jesus was being obedient, Simon had to carry something he never signed up for. Because Jesus was being obedient, Simon had to carry something he never signed up for. When others are being obedient, it will place unwanted burdens on the life of those closest to them. Ask Jacqueline. Me becoming a pastor has put no burdens on her life whatsoever, I promise. Cakewalk, right? Just kidding. I'm scared to even make that joke. She just punched me in the face with her eyes. Her beady little eyes. (laughs) Settle down. Everybody calm down. Everyone's like, wow, wow. Focus on your own problems. We refuse to help others, listen, I'm just going to keep saying it. We refuse to help others live their gospel life because it will cost us. Ian and I were talking about this today while we were eating some amazing macaroni and cheese, I might add. Yo, the diner makes the best mac and cheese I've ever had in my life. Anyway, again, the food thing, this is my thing. Ian and I were saying, have you ever, we, we get to the end of a long night and the house is a mess. And Jacqueline or Kerry will say, you know what we should do? We should clean up tonight before we go to bed because then tomorrow we'll feel much better. And in that moment, you're like, shut up. What? And then you lie. Like, we're going to wake the kids up. Like, you're trying to spin it like the Judas thing. When you wake up in the morning and realize it's clean and you got your little Keurig happening and it's nice and everything looks great, you're so happy. But in the moment when somebody offers you a gospel reality, you don't want to help them do it because you have to help them do it. That's a funny one. It goes for everything that happens in the home. But it also goes for everything that happens in life. Somebody in your home wants to follow Jesus in a radically new way. It is going to cost everybody. Mom and dad, you want your children to follow Jesus? Talk to my mom. You have no idea what it's going to cost you. The hell they'll put you through. The sorrow it will cause the ups and the downs. We don't want the people, we want the people around us to live a mediocre life. Stephanie and I were joking before, we just, I wish this was called Mediocre Average Friday, not Good Friday. We want the people around us to live basic lives because the better they live, the more responsibility gets put on our life. Simon's story reminds us that spectators 
are unknown, but burden bearers are generationally blessed. Because Alexander and Rufus, his two boys that were there when their dad got grabbed by some Roman soldiers, thrown down in front of a criminal named Jesus, and asked to bear this bloody, gory cross, they became some of the first bishops in the Christian church because their dad carried the cross of Jesus. And in a spiritual way, they continued to carry it ever since. Spectators are always unknown, but burden bearers are generationally blessed. We draw others to Christ when we carry the weight of obedience with them. Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hard wood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our time, talent, and treasure, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you for the honor of your name. Amen. Let's spend a moment listening to the Spirit speak. Station 9, the weeping. Luke 23. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting over him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? The gospel of the Lord. The women who love Jesus follow him and fall in front of him, And they weep over the pain he is going through and the pain it is bringing them. Jesus wants to inform our weeping. We tend, unlike those women, we tend to weep over the symptoms of something. Jesus is saying, Don't weep for me. What they're doing to me is a symptom. Weep for the fact that when they saw life, when life preached to them, when life gave life to the dead, when life brought life to the prisoners and to the hungry and to the marginalized, when life, when the tree in its most green, fertile state was in front of them, They would rather gatekeep and self-preserve their own way of life instead of letting it go to follow this freedom, this fruit. When we allow our weeping 
to be informed by Christ, our weeping will become a watering. Our weeping will become a watering. We draw others to Christ when our weeping is for us and not just for me. We draw others to Christ when we learn to weep for the world and not just for what's happening to ourselves. Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hardwood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our tears, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you for the honor of your name. Amen. Let's take a moment to listen to what the Spirit is saying. This is station 10, and at the end of this, John and Steph will come and give us a chance to have the Spirit sing over us again. Station 10, the crucifixion. This is Luke 23. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription written over him, this is the king of the Jews, the gospel of the Lord. Everyone around Jesus seems to know everything. Have you ever met someone who seems to know everything? Looking for an opportunity to tell you what they know. And please don't look at me like that. I... Yes, it's a little ironic saying that while you're preaching, but that's not the point. Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. And thus, he relegates our most vicious sins to sins of the subconscious. Sins that we don't know that we're doing when we do them. Can we agree that nailing God to a tree and spitting in his face is some of the vicious, most vicious sin that could ever occur? And over those sins, God says, they don't know what they're doing. And that should alarm every one of us. 
Because ever since Genesis 3, when we received the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we walk around thinking that we are aware of everything we're doing right and everything we're doing wrong. And Jesus says, the worst that you will ever do, you will have no idea that you're doing it. The worst sin is the sin of thinking we know our sin. Our best life will come not when we seek to know, but when we submit to being known. Our best life will come not when we seek to know, but when we, see, when we submit to being known, which is the most uncomfortable thing in the world, to actually be known by God. Because he doesn't know some of you. He knows enough of you to say that what you're doing, you don't even know that you're doing, but I know you're doing it. We draw others to Christ when we allow Christ to search us fully. Saying with David, search me, O Lord, and see if there be any grievous way within me. Why? Because I don't know if there is or not. And saying with the disciples, is it I, Lord? Because every one of them was unsure if they were denying him or not. We draw others to Christ when we allow Christ to search us fully. Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hardwood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our openness to God's word, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you for the honor of your name. Amen. As you take a moment to ponder what the Spirit is saying, let's stand to our feet as John and Steph will come to sing another hymn. We have four more stations to go. Let the Holy Spirit sing over you.
You may be seated. We're almost there. Station 11, the holy community. The holy community. One of the criminals who were hanged with him railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other thief rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The Gospel of the Lord. Jesus on the cross facilitates discussion between person and person and person and God. As he's hanging in his own agony, he facilitates discussion between person and person. The two thieves spoke to each other. And he facilitates discussion between person and God. He spoke to the thieves. Jesus, in his cross, opens us to healthy communication between each other and healthy communication to God. Jesus doesn't remove himself from those who are different than him. He, in fact, draws even closer in love and in pain to those who live much differently than he does. He is numbered with the transgressors, the Bible would say. When Satan took his census of the worst people, Jesus was listed in the group as a number. He gets that close to people who don't live the way he lives. He gets that close to people who don't live the way he wants them to live. He never says, change the way you live and I'll draw near to you. He says, you are given the power to change the way you live because I've drawn as close to you as I possibly can. Here's a question I've always had and a mystical answer kind of dropped into my spirit. The bad thief, I use air quotes because they're both pretty bad, is quiet at the end of this conversation. He doesn't say anything. And being judgmental, we assume he just stayed bad. Because if he got good, the Bible would have said so. I don't think that's right. The bad thief is quiet. Listen, not because he didn't say anything. The Holy Spirit doesn't record whether or not this man said anything because he wants our voice to be the response to the conversation that Jesus had with the other thief. What you say when you hear their conversation, I deserve to be here. Will you remember me when you enter your kingdom? Truly today you'll be with me in paradise. What did the other thief say? Jesus is saying, it depends. What are you going to say? Are you going to keep railing at me? Are you going to say he's right? I deserve to be here too. I'm going to stop judging people.
I need to be here too. We don't know what he said because that's who we are in the story. And what he said remains unwritten because your response is what he said. My response is what he said. Ron's response is what he said. What do we say? We draw people to Christ when we reach out to difference and begin a conversation. Vaccinators having good conversations with non-vaccinators that don't end in lethal breakup. Imagine. It is kind of funny, but Jesus could get two thieves to talk to each other, but I don't know if he could get everybody. Yes, he can. We're the ones who facilitate that discussion. We're the ones who exemplify it and facilitate it. And instead of pointing out everybody else's wrong, we say, I deserve to be here with him. Please remember me. Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hardwood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hospitality on the margins, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you for the honor of your name. Amen. Let's take a moment and listen to the spirit. Station 12, the provision, John 19. But standing by the cross of Jesus was, were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. The gospel of the Lord. This is simple, but unbelievably helpful. Jesus, in the midst of sheer agony, provides for others as opposed to begging for provision. He is triggered, falsely accused, and all that, and in the middle of his absolute desperation and anguish, sees a need and meets it. When John the Baptist was killed, his cousin, he goes by himself to pray, and 5,000 people follow him annoyingly and say, we want to hear you teach, and he doesn't say, Give me time to grieve. It says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus, in his personal anguish over the loss of a loved one, or in his theological, social, ecclesial, eschatological anguish on the cross, in the midst of all of it, he sees a need, and he meets it, and he's not begging for his own needs to be met. The only time he says, I thirst, it's to fulfill scripture, not to beg. 
It's what it says. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I thirst. Not to beg, to be obedient. When we are the most misunderstood and triggered, we tend to demand and consume provision. When Jesus offers it, he offers it. He sets his home in order. He takes care of the one who believed what the angel Gabriel said. Who swaddled him, put him in a manger. He provides for her. One of the ways we transform suffering is by entering it and seeking to serve while we're in it. St. Augustine said it this way, if the church does its job, suffering has to suffer us, and it will stop causing suffering. Suffering has to suffer us. When we enter suffering, we enter it and we find in the middle of the nastiness of all the suffering, who can I serve, what need can I meet, and we defy suffering by saying, we're going to cause suffering to produce endurance, and endurance is going to produce patience, and all on and on. Romans 5. Say it from memory, Dad. I forgot some of it. That's an inside joke between me and my father-in-law. I'll tell it. One day... (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) You just need to break that tension. Whenever you say inside joke, everyone's like, please say what it is. We don't even care. We just want to hear it. No. You were there, right, Dave's? We draw others to Christ when we are for them while the world is against us. We draw others to Christ. People won't see Christ more than when your life is falling apart and you help someone else put their life together again. Well, is God going to cause my life to fall apart? Here's the thing. It's going to at some point. Have you had three good weeks in a row? Whenever the little stuff or the big stuff happens in those moments when it's falling apart for us, whether it's your day, your hour, your week, your month, your whatever it is, when it's falling apart for us, pick up the pieces of somebody else's life and they will see Jesus. Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hardwood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we reaching forth our awareness of need and willingness to meet it, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you for the honor of your name. Amen. Let's take a moment to listen to the Spirit. Station 13, everybody's favorite topic, the vulnerability. (laughs) We got two scripture references for this one, Mark and Luke. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over over the face of the land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. Every time you show vulnerability, people are going to misunderstand what you said. I will continue. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink. Notice they're providing for him because they think Elijah's coming because they misunderstood what they said. The most abusive people will provide for somebody else if it means they get to see something they want. God, help me get through this. Saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. I'm sweating. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. Notice the sun stayed out longer for Joshua, and it went down quicker for Jesus. Has anybody seen that? That's incredible. You guys provide a wonderful atmosphere of revelation. Can you be here all week long while I'm reading? Because that would be dope. The sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Jesus finally and fully acts like a true king by revealing his full vulnerability, desperation, and death. We live in not just a secular culture, but in a religious culture that prides competence as the proof you know what you're talking about. That one misstep, or you answer a question too slowly, you don't know what you're talking about. You say, I don't know, you don't know what you're talking about. You say, let me find out. People don't trust you as a leader. Don't trust the person that answers before you're done speaking. Don't trust the person whose face is turning red because words are bursting out of their eyes just waiting for you to finish. Don't trust people who answer questions immediately. Don't trust people who say, who refuse to say, I don't know. Don't trust people who say, I made a mistake. Wait, don't trust people who don't say, I made a mistake. See, I just made a mistake. So you can trust me. See what I did there? When we are most triggered, we tend to refuse the vulnerable moves that deflate triggeredness. When we're the most triggered, we tend to refuse the vulnerable moves that deflate the triggeredness. And because we refuse to be vulnerable, we make other people feel that they need to live defensively around us. The world is defensive because the world is constantly arguing and fighting and nobody's listening. It's like that moment in Acts, I think it's 18 or 19, where it says everyone rushed into the theater, some were yelling one thing, some another, and no one knew why they had gotten there. In my Bible, it says social media next to that. Why are we here? I don't know. Just keep yelling. Do we refuse to be vulnerable 
like the bystanders. It says bystanders more than I realized until I was reading it out loud to all of you. It says bystanders constantly because bystanders don't help. (laughs) They like to watch the spectacle, but they don't help. And the bystanders are the ones saying, he saved others, let him save himself. Do we refuse to be vulnerable like the bystanders, or do we become vulnerable like the centurion who essentially says... We got it wrong. This man was innocent. He is the son of God. All his soldiers are like, bro, you couldn't have thought about that like two, three hours ago? We just killed him. He's like, no, we were, he's, he was the son of God. Now you tell us. Information we could have used last night. How and a centurion is in charge of at least a hundred people. And right in the middle of his work day, we got this wrong. We just killed an innocent person. That vulnerability puts you in a gospel story for the rest of time. People remember that vulnerability. They don't remember overt arrogance and confidence. They don't remember you biting their face off, but they do remember you being the kind of person who when you make a mistake, you own it and you repent. We draw others to Christ when we are willing to express uncertainty while remaining faithful. I don't know why God is doing this, but I'm going to keep going after him. Well, if you don't know, if you can't answer these questions, then I'm not going to go to church. Okay, more room for me to lay prostrate, I guess, then at the church. (laughs) Uncertainty while remaining faithful. Uncertainty but not acquiescing. Uncertainty but not being pulled in a direction we're not supposed to go. Yes, we should confess doubt. Yes, we should be uncertain. Yes, we should say I'm stressed out today. Yes, we should say I'm dealing with depression. Yes, we we should say that this week is hard. Yes, we should say I messed up as a parent. Yes, we should say those things. But we shouldn't say them to the equal and opposite reaction that all we do is disparage ourselves. We say them with the confidence that we can bear fruit in keeping with repentance. We say them, but we remain faithful. When we refuse to admit mistakes, they're going to say a whole bunch of garbage about us. When we admit our mistakes, they're going to say a whole bunch of garbage about us. We should be vulnerable and confident at the same time. We draw others to Christ when we are willing to express uncertainty while remaining faithful. Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hardwood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our honest desperation, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you for the honor of your name. Amen. Our final station, the worship team can come on up and and get ready to be here. I might talk for a long time while you're standing there, but it's okay. Come on up. Station 14, the burial. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, 
asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. The Gospel of the Lord. This is what the church is for. After trying to understand Jesus, Nicodemus and Joseph bury the one they never fully advocated for. One, a disciple of Jesus, but secretly. The other, one who comes only by night to talk to him. Yes, Nicodemus speaks up at one point. Joseph speaks up at one point. But none of them use the full weight of who they are to stand up for him. None of them say, I'm leaving this synagogue and never coming back if you guys do this. None of them say, we've been at this a long time and what you're doing is wrong, Caiaphas. What you're doing is wrong, Ananias. What you're doing is wrong, Pilate. They get close secretly. Anybody like that in your life? They're there for you when it's not going to cost them anything, but the minute it might cost them, they leave your life super fast. When people refuse to help us, when we feel it counted, we decide that they're not worthy of helping us ever again. You should have helped me here. Don't try to help me anymore when you, you should have helped me right in that moment. When, I, when that relationship ended, that's when I needed you. When I had no money, that's when I needed you. When I was sick, that's when I needed you. When I was hurting, that's when I needed you. Now you can, don't, don't even try to help me now when it's easy because you didn't help me when it was difficult. Listen to this. For Jesus, it is never too late. Listen, his dead body blesses the ones who never spoke up for his alive body. His dead body blesses the ones who didn't accept his alive body. His dead body, the one they could have prevented from being dead, blesses the ones who didn't speak up for him. That's what it means to be the church. We draw people to Christ when we view every person as forever possible. It's never too late. It is never too late. If you can't be there for someone because they hurt you so much, another part of the body of Christ can. That's wisdom. But the church as a whole group is saying to the world, it is never, ever, ever too late for you.
over my dead body. Jesus says, that works too. Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hardwood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hope for the world, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you for the honor of your name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet this evening. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.